Our text for what we're looking at is the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. I want to talk about active listening. Active listening is a very, very good tool, uh, even for everyday life. Uh, it just enhances your ability to listen to people. And you know, one of the greatest active listeners, if I could call him that, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And active listening is hearing, well, we're going to look at it in a moment, but it's hearing what isn't being said through communication of body language, through uh, facial expressions and all, and we look at them. And I just thought about that with Jesus. And we looked the other week at the, you know, the, uh, what do you call him, Nicodemus with Jesus. And he came uh, talking about the kingdom, but Jesus knew exactly what he was there for to see what this was about being born again. Then again with the, the rich young ruler, he wanted to follow Jesus, but Jesus knew his weakness and listened to him and then pointed out to him, you want to serve me, we'll go and sell all you have. So there, there's many other uh, individuals that Jesus spoke to and uh, you can see that he was hearing, uh, we could put it that way, what wasn't being said. So we're going to look at active listening uh, there's many sites you can go on to uh, and they'll all more or less say the same thing in different language. I've found a site which I'm going to use and uh, again, it's maybe a lot to take in but what I will do, if you want, come and see me and I'll print off uh, what this site says about active listening because it is, it will help you if you want to reach out and help people. So firstly, we'll look at what we term active listening is. Active listening is a communication skill that involves going beyond simply hearing the words that another person speaks, but also seeking to understand the meaning and intent behind them. It requires being an active participant in the communication process. So active listening techniques then, therefore, they include being fully present in the conversation. You ever talking to someone and you know fine rightly they're not listening to you? I get shared that all the time by Jane, but uh, you're never fully present in the conversation. Noticing and using uh, non-verbal cues. Paraphrasing and reflecting back on what has been said. And most importantly, when you're helping people, withholding judgment and advice. And again, this is the whole secret of getting to know who you are without jumping on someone and thinking, you know, I would do it this way, I would do it that way. So we're, 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 we're withholding, as I say, judgment and advice. So in communication, active listening is important because it keeps you engaged with whoever you're talking to in a positive way. It also makes them feel that someone is actually listening and that they're valued maybe for the first time in their lives. And I'm surprised, and a lot of people I've dealt with, that just that release of being able to talk to someone who's actually listening to what is being said, and again, paraphrasing and ensuring that you're up to speed in what is being said. So this skill is the foundation of a successful conversation in any setting, whether it is at work, at home, or in social situations. So the first thing we'll look at is being fully present in the conversation. It requires us to be there. But what does that mean? Well, this enables you to concentrate on what is being said. See, being present involves listening 
with all your senses, with sight, sound, and giving your full attention to the speaker. Now, to use this technique effectively, you should do some things. When you're sitting down with someone and you know that there's going to be, a, for want of a better way of putting it, a serious conversation, the first thing to do is either turn off or put your cell phone away. So there's nothing more annoying when talking to someone about something deeply emotional or deeply hurtful and the, the, the mobile phone goes off. Oh, hold on a minute. So you're, you're preparing the room, as it were, but you're preparing yourself. Try and ignore distractions. Avoid daydreaming. Do you know, sometimes when you're talking to people, and we all know people that go on a wee bit, and you begin to daydream and lose the conversation. But you know, when you're helping someone, you nearly, really need to concentrate. And even if you are, do start to, to, to daydream, my advice to you would be to say something like, look, see what you were just saying there? Just explain it that little bit more. Instead of saying I wasn't listening. But it, it gives you a chance of reflecting back to make sure you're taking in what they've said. Avoid daydreaming and shut down your internal dialogue. It's so easy and we all do it. I think it's an, well, an attribute, maybe not the right word, but something we all do. When someone's talking to us in our head, we're, we're thinking of something else or we're think, thinking up the answer. Don't try and think up any answers. Don't try and think up anything. Just concentrate and listen to what they're saying and we'll look at how you can do that as we go on with this. Put your focus on the conversation and let everything else slip away. And whatever you do, don't fall asleep when someone's talking to you. And not say who, but we went out to see someone once, and uh, they came along with me, the nature of the person I was going to see, and they fell asleep. We were sitting talking, next thing I heard, <laughs> <laughs> so he, he had to apologize profoundly. So the other thing is pay attention to nonverbal cues. And folks, you're not going to pick this up in one night, by the way, but if you are interested in this, I mean, you can, I'll give you these notes, uh, and you can sort of read up on them. So what are nonverbal cues? It's said as much as 65% of a person's communication is unspoken. So paying attention to these nonverbal cues can tell you a lot about the person and what they're trying to say. You know, and in saying that, if you're interested in that, uh, particularly nonverbal cues, and you're interested in counselling people, there really is probably one of the best books I've read in all my studies concerning counselling. It's a book called Unlearning from the Patient by Patrick Caseman. It's a wonderful book. I was just looking it up, actually. There's a second edition out. But it really helps you pick up people's nonverbal cues. It's a really good book. So if they talk fast, for instance... This could be a sign that they are nervous or they're anxious. If they talk slowly, they may be tired or trying carefully to choose their words. And you will find, I find that more often. You know, and we'll look at this in a moment. You know, there, there's periods of silence. And you know rightly that they're, they're choosing their words very carefully. Because again, trust takes time to build up. And so someone's talking to you. They're not going to tell you everything the first time they sit down and talk to you. But what they are telling you, if they're really being talking slowly and taking long intervals, don't be offended by it or, or, or keep trying to, to listen to them. And we'll see in a moment, don't prompt them. Just let them take their time and think about what they're going to say. You know, your nonverbal behaviors are just as important. To show the person that you're uh, tuned in, 
use uh, non-threatening, like what they call non-threatening body language. This involves, and this is, I have to watch myself with this one, because I do this all the time. This involves not folding your arms. You know, sometimes when people fold their arms, they're tired or just do that enough. And so uh, to some people, that's really a, a cue that you're not listening. Smiling when you're listening, but be careful. You know, someone's telling you someone died. Don't be sitting smiling at them going, that's great. <laughs> Leaning in and nodding at key junctures. You know, that's very, very good in the sense that you're, they see you're listening and they see you're showing empathy when you're leaning in and again you're, you're nodding and, and letting them know that you're listening. It can be helpful to pay attention to their facial expressions while active listening so that you don't convey any type of negative response. Again, I mean, if they're sad, don't be sitting going at them. Just, you know, it's, it, these things seem very simple, but you tend to forget them when you're sitting talking to someone. Looking down, fidgety, stopping every so often and taking a moment. These are nonverbal clues that people give you, and you've got to give them time. Uh, the other, another one is keep good eye contact. When engaged in active listening, making eye contact is especially important because it tells the other person that you're present with them, that you're listening to what they're saying. It also shows that you aren't distracted by anything else around you. And at the same time, you don't want too much act, uh, eye contact because uh, that would really feel weird if you're sitting staring at them like that. And to keep this from happening, they say there's the 50-70 rule. And this involves making eye contact for 50% to 70% of the time spent listening and then holding the contact for four or five seconds and then briefly looking away. Ask open-ended questions. Asking yes or no questions often produce what's called dead-end answers. And it isn't helpful during this act of listening as it keeps the conversation from flowing. It also makes it difficult to truly listen to the other person because there isn't much you can gain from a short, non-descriptive response. So instead, ask open-ended questions to show that you're interested in the conversation and the other person. Now, where's Pete the mic? There he is. Anybody think of what an open-ended question is? There's Margaret. Peter was checking his steps. He got 10,000 up last week. So. How do you feel about that? Yep. And so, I mean, someone might say, do you feel okay, yes or no? But the better open-ended question there is how do you feel about that? Someone else, what do you think? What an open-ended question is? All gone shy. <laughs> okay, that's okay. Dead-end answers aren't helpful uh, in active listening. As, as I said, it stops a conversation from flowing. And it really makes it difficult to, to listen to the other person so that you can gain some sort of a response. You really need to know what they're saying. You don't need to know, yes, I'm feeling okay. You need to know, well, well how are you feeling? You know, are, are you feeling uh, sad? Are you feeling glad? Are you happy this happened? Or not instead, you know, instead of saying, are you happy? Are you happy this happened? Are you sad? It gives you a, a, an idea of where they are and how they feel about what they're talking to you about. Asking open-ended questions shows you're interested in that. There's other little examples that I've thought of. And there we go. Can you tell me a bit more about that? 
So if someone tells you about something, and again, you're, you're, you're relating, you and me are two different people, brought up different backgrounds and whatnot. So the way I would react to something, or the, the way I would describe something is different than the way you would describe it. So for me to understand what you're feeling, I would ask, well, can you tell me a bit more about that? Or what did you think about that? Sometimes when somebody tells us something, we have our thoughts. You know, well, I, well, I think such and such, but it's not, not relevant what you think about it. It's what did you think about the person you're talking about? So what do you think is the best path for moving forward? And again, we're going to look at that later. Advice is a big no-no. Don't give advice. Okay, but I'm going to deal with that at a later stage. So what do you think is the best path moving forward? And again, as we look at it, the way I would deal with something is not the way you would deal with something. Some people are strong enough to confront someone. Other people aren't strong enough to confront someone. They're what we call non-confrontational. And so if there was a relationship issue, I would deal with it by going and talking to someone. But there are other people who are non-confrontational would have to say to them, well, what would you think would be the best way to deal with this, the best way to go forward with this? So that's just a simple example there. How do you think you could have responded differently? So that's a good thing to ask him because, as I've said many times, vulnerability leads to bad decisions. When people are vulnerable, they're not thinking straight. And they make decisions and they say things, and then in the, in the light of the day, later on, they think, I shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have did that. And so that's where I would ask that question. Well, how do you think you, sh you would have responded differently? So these questions encourage thoughtful, expansive responses which is why they are often used by mental health therapists. Reflect what you hear. This is important. After the person has spoken to you, to tell them what you heard. Now, you can't do it word for word, but just tell them. So you're, you're repeating more or less what you've been talking about for the past, well, don't let it go for 10 minutes, but for the past five minutes or so, so that you know what they're saying. This ensures that you're actually capturing the thoughts that they have, their ideas, their emotions accurately, and it's going to give you clarity as to what they're telling you. It also helps a person feel validated and understood. A lot of people, particularly in relationship, they feel that the other person in the relationship doesn't understand them. Uh, and you know, when a relationship's breaking down, you have two opinions, maybe three, four opinions, who knows? But whenever you can actually reflect what they're saying and ask them if, if you need clarity, their thoughts and their ideas, it just gives them that that idea that actually someone has given me the chance to give my side. It helps them feel validated and understood without any potential miscommunications. Don't, again, it's, it's well, again, it's uh, nonverbal cues, but you know, someone speaking, you know, we need to be careful, and if they say something really ridiculous, don't, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, you have to watch the old tongue, the Bible says, keep an eye on the tongue when you're talking to them. You might say, in other words, what you're saying is that you're frustrated, or I'm hearing you're frustrated about this situation. So it's letting them say, yes, he do, this individual does understand where I'm coming from. If you'd like to better understand something a person has said, don't be afraid to ask for clarification. And don't focus on the insignificant details, because it'll make you miss the big picture. We're, we're nearly finished. Well, not the sermon, like, but this here. Uh, be patient. Patient is so important when you're speaking to someone and helping someone. Be patient. Don't interrupt. It gives them time to say what they're thinking without having you to try and finish their sentence for them. 
What this basically means is during times of silence, people feel uncomfortable. And you'll feel uncomfortable because you don't know, am I, did I say something? Just be quiet. Be patient. Don't butt in. They're trying to think. They're maybe trying to, to, to compose their sentence in a way that you'll understand what they're saying. And, you know, it's one of the, you know, when I taught uh, counseling in Castlereagh College and we did little vignettes, this was the main thing I always pointed out to the students. Would you stop interrupting if someone is quiet? Let them think. You don't need to talk. You know, obviously, if they haven't spoken to you for 15 minutes like that, we're not talking about that. But don't interrupt if they're sitting thinking, trying to compose themselves, trying to compose their thoughts. During these periods of silence, <clears throat> you know, just give them time. Go over in your mind what they've just said, and then try and not sort of respond to the silence, but respond to the person. Don't prepare a reply when the other person's speaking. There's many people do that. Uh, <clears throat> when you're speaking, you're thinking your answer in the head. Try not to think your answer in your head. Listen, say what they're saying to you in your head so that you're not trying to answer what they're saying to you. And again, the main one, and we'll finish looking at active listening with this, withhold judgment. Remaining neutral and non-judgmental in your responses enables the other person to feel comfortable when they're sharing their thoughts. It makes a conversation a safe zone where they uh, can trust that they won't be shamed, criticized, blamed, or otherwise negatively received. And you know, even as a counselor, they are, anybody I counsel know, knew or will know I'm a Christian. And this is one of the things, you know, that, that they would ask me, uh, you know, what do you think? I mean, I, I, I counseled a, a young boy, a gay or homosexual, whatever you want to call him. And I mean, it took me a while for him to understand that I'm not there judging him. I'm there to help him through what it was he was dealing with. And so people need to know that. We need to remember, you know, we live in a closed world up here in church. Seriously, folks, if, if any of you knew what's going on out in the world, it would shock you. I mean, it really would. And these people are going to come. And I know our salt team have dealt with girls. And I guarantee you couldn't believe what them girls have been through when they've spoke to you. You know, and we're, and we're lucky we have good relationships in our marriages. And so we can't sort of say, well, you know, well, my husband's good or my wife's good or, well, my husband wouldn't do that. You have to listen to the person and understand the environment they come from, their, their background, and not be judgmental in what you say to them. And if you are being judgmental, what you really need to do is say to them, look, it won't work. We need to get you to talk to someone else. I need to refer you on. And that is better than making someone who's came to you for help feeling judged. So as I said, there's a lot there. And you can get a lot of that on the internet. But anybody wants, just come and see me. And all those, uh, attribute, or all those sections of active listening, I'll print them off for you. Uh, and you can study them yourselves. So... <clears throat> I want to look at ways to be less, judge, less judgmental. Well, it's expressing empathy, empathy for the person and their situation. You know, someone came to you, they're sitting down, they're upset, and they said to you as a Christian, I've committed adultery. Are you going to say, you know, the word of God, you're, you're a sinner, you're going to burn in hell, you know? 
This is what they expect you to say. Now, you don't go around and say, ah, oh, that's all right, don't worry about it. But, you know, you try not to be judgmental. You'll try to understand their situation. Their situation. Sometimes people that do commit adultery are looking for love outside a loveless marriage. It doesn't justify it, but it lets you know where they're coming from. It's not that they're just, excuse the expression, a slut or something, or a, a, what is it to call men, whoremongers or something. There could be something behind the situation. So learn more about different people and different cultures. <clears throat> and we think different cultures, well, that's Africans and China. It's not. Within our society, there's different cultures. People living in Hollywood have a different culture to people living in Hollywood Road. You know, and you mightn't accept that, but it's true, folks. It is indeed. Ways to be less, ju- judgment- less judgmental when listening. It's practicing acceptance of others. You know, when you accept someone, it doesn't mean you accept what they're doing. But Jesus always accepted people. The adulterous woman, he accepted her. Zacchaeus, he accepted him. Didn't condone what they were doing. Told him to sin no more. We need to practice acceptance of others. Recognize when you may be judging the other person and then stop those thoughts if you can, excuse me, (coughs) if you can immediately. (coughs) So that's active listening, which we need to practice and learn, but it will help you folks. It really will. If you really have a heart for other people and a heart to help other people, well then really you should have a look at that and try and uh, bring a lot of that into the conversations that you have with those you're helping. Tell people to earnestly believe, and this is what we should do, that God exists, that they matter to him, and that he has the power to help them change. You see, professionally you're not allowed to do that, but professionally you can get away with it if you do it the right way. That God is there to help them, and that's what people need to hear. You see, a lot of people that will come to you and will come to us as a church, they need hope. They need hope. And we know from experience that a greater power than ourselves can help us restore normality in someone's situations. It says in Philippians 2 verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So therefore, knowing that God works in us and that he has the power to help us change, then we think of Hebrews 11 and 6, <clears throat> we need faith, because without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now that's okay for you and me, but tell someone who's never been a Christian that they need faith. You can't just do that. You need to explain to them what faith is, and this is where your testimony can come in. And self-revelation is actually quite good because it lets people know that you're human. People think Christians are walking about in a bubble and we're happy all the time. We've never had any troubles. We can relate the, the, uh, life's events and help people and we can say to them, faith brought me through. Faith in God. We can <coughs> quote scripture, Psalm 62 and 5. My soul, wait thou only... <coughs> with thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. My expectation is from him. So we've stated, uh, by our, as we looked at ourselves, that when we acknowledge that we are powerless, then this confession to the Lord enables us to receive his power and blessings in our lives. We need to let people know. A lot of people, when they come to church or come to you for counseling, if it was, 
<clears throat> they've tried before. They've tried to sort their problems out themselves. And like you, and again, this self-revelation from yourself will help. And you can say to them, I've tried, but I couldn't do it. But God helped me do it. And you can encourage them to do that. To trust in the Lord. <clears throat> you can encourage them that God has a power to help them. You can show them through your own experience. You know, I've tried this, I've tried that. I tried it on my own. I thought I was strong enough to beat this. I thought I was strong enough to deal with this, but I wasn't. But when I learned to trust in Christ and have faith in him, he helped me through. This is your opportunity to share the word of God. And so church tonight, and any unsaved person who watch this, know the fact, and we need to tell people this, God wants to fill our lives with his love, his joy, and his presence. God wants to come into people's hearts to give them a sound mind, to give them a clear heart, a clear mind. He doesn't want the people to come to him and be punished and be made feel bad for all the bad things they've allegedly done in their lives. And we've got to let people know that because that's what people out there think. And when you talk to them, you'll hear that. You know that you know, God wouldn't accept me. I, mean, I lost count of many times people have said, why would God accept someone like me? And so we need to let people know the prodigal son in Luke 15 is a beautiful picture of God's love. No matter how lost you feel, we can tell them. No matter how far you have fallen like a prodigal, having to eat the swill that the pigs would eat, Jesus wants to pick us up of the Jericho Road. Jesus wants to pick you up from the Jericho Road. And most of all, Jesus wants to forgive you. Wants to forgive you. And we need to tell people, in Jesus alone you will find hope. And this is a difference where we would be from professional counseling. Because we would talk about, uh, you know, self-awareness and, and self-love and, and things like this here. Where really what we need to let people know is that Christ is there. Christ's love and Christ's help. Because our hope is not found in the Word. Our hope is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many, have, uh, many people believe in Jesus' existence. Some of them have never even attended church. But you know something? True hope is only found in a personal relationship with Christ. It's maybe hard for people to believe, but God, who was manifest in flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, desires a personal relationship with you. You know, people who are in trouble, and when they come and you befriend them, you know, they thank you. And I mean, I haven't done it in a long time, but. Anytime I used to go out with a, something for the salt, they, they couldn't believe that someone was being so generous. You know, why are you doing this kind of thing? I'm sure it's no different now. And you're able to tell them it's because of the love of Christ. God wants me to share it with you. So many people believe in existence, but again, they, 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 they went to church, and, and then when you start talking to them about Jesus, desires a personal relationship with them. The way you, they would desire a personal relationship with a friend or someone they like, Jesus desires a personal relationship with you. And it's not a relationship where you have to earn. It's a relationship which he paid on the cross at Calvary. And Jesus can do for you whatever you have never, or sorry, what you've never been able to do for yourself. And it's true when you trust him, Jesus can do for you whatever it is you haven't been able to do for yourself. It's a name above all names. Ephesians 3 and 20 said, and we quote this often, I unto him that is able, 
<coughs> able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think <coughs> according to the power that worketh in us. See, that power that works in us is the omnipotent power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name above all names. And many today believe their doubts and doubt their beliefs. But remember what I said, if you're going to doubt anything, doubt, doubt. 1 Corinthians 12 and 9. <clears throat> and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon you. Another translation puts it this way. My grace is enough for you, for where there is weakness, my power is shown more completely. And so that helps us tell people that it's okay to be weak. It's okay to uh, have fallen because God's there to pick you up. When you acknowledge, and we've looked at this ourselves, that you know what, a lot of what's going on in my life, I take responsibility for. That's a bad word today. People taking responsibility for their actions. But when they do, then they realize that there's nothing they can do to change it. But then they realize that God's grace is sufficient for where there is weakness. When they are weak, God will help them and empower them. So when they receive this hope, it'll give them an openness to change. Because sometimes, church, we're afraid to change. Even if our past was painful, we're afraid to change. We resist change because of the fear of the unknown. Or in our despair, we think that we don't deserve any better. But hope opens doors where despair closes doors. Hope discovers what can be done instead of grumbling about what can't be done. So throughout our lives, we'll continue to uh, encounter hurt, trials, all these things that come against us and things that we are powerless to change. But when we acknowledge that we are weak, then God can make us strong. With God's help, we can be open to allow those circumstances and situations to change, to make us better and not to make us better. You see, in the past, people that I've spoke to have wanted to change. I've tried to change. I've changed for a while, <clears throat> but I've went straight back to what they were doing. In fact, the Bible says that, uh, you know, they, they end up 10 times worse than what they were before they start to try to change themselves. We could not free ourselves from our hurts, our hang-ups, our habits, but God's power can change our lives and our situations. Another verse I quote all the time, I can do all things through Christ with strengtheneth me, and then another translation puts it, I can do everything God asks me to with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and power. For me, I've quoted this often, that's the best translation you can get. I can master every situation through Christ who strengthens me. That apparently is the original meaning of the words. I can master every situation. People look at, I can do all things through Christ, and they, they, they bring that into everything. But what Paul is saying is the situation will be bad. The bad times will come. The trials will come. The hurts will come. The pains will come. But I can master them through Christ who strengthens me. And when someone comes to us and tells us, I've been hurt, I'm still hurt, uh, I'm rejected, uh, I'm this, I'm that, we can say to them, you can master this situation. Don't be telling them, I can master this situation for you. You can master this situation. I, through Christ, 
which strengthens you. And again, there's the door open for your personal testimonies. Tell them that power to change comes from God's grace. Hope draws its power from a deep trust in God, like that of the psalmist. The psalmist said in Psalm 25 and 5, Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. And on thee do I wait all the day. And that phrase, on thee do I wait all the day, it signifies hope and trust in the Lord. It signifies someone who's just resting and waiting to see the hand of God in their lives. And that's difficult for some people, especially someone who hasn't walked with the Lord in a while. We've got to teach them that, uh, you know, there's no miracle wand here, that things are going to take time, maybe. And maybe the problem's been there for a long time. It might take a long time. But it will change if you wait on God and trust him. Part of change comes from God's grace. And this hope indeed comes from the Lord when we trust in him. It was once said that faith is only as strong as the object of that faith. Think about that. Faith is only as strong as the object of that faith. You can have faith in someone else. You can, or in me. You can have faith in me. But you know something? I'm limited. I'm finite. But when you have faith in God, then your faith is strong because he is the object of your faith and he will never let you down. His power can change your life, can change your situation. And what we have to do is trust him. Philippians 1 and 6, being confident of this very thing, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We've got to tell people, be confident when God, you let God into your life that he will help you. He, he has begun this work in you. He'll not see it halfway through and then stop. He'll see it through to the end if you trust in him. We know, in fact, our Lord said about uh, faith as, as small as a mustard seed, you know, and he spoke about that. And so <clears throat> when we look to the Lord, and we trust the Lord, then we know that we can have faith in him. Hebrews 11 and 1 tells us what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You know, people want to see a change immediately. And we can't give them false hopes. People want to see a difference immediately. And they will in feeling when they truly repent and turn to the Lord. But for changes in their lives, it may take time. And we have got to be with them. And we've got to encourage them through this as we encourage them to trust in the Lord with all their heart and with all their mind. Romans 10 and 9 says, If thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now we put that down to salvation, and it is salvation. But it also covers our lives. Christ just doesn't save us and leave us. When we're saved and when we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, we, don't forget, we become his children. And as his children, he is our heavenly father and he watches over us. This, all it really requires is faith. If you put your words into action and trust the Lord Jesus, your life will be changed. You'll find hope in the only higher power that is available to mankind, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. His spirit will come with power in your heart. So tonight, not just uh, you know, unsaved, but as Christians, let us step out in faith and let's take a step of hope and trust in the Lord. It'll give us courage to reach out and hold Christ's hand 
and face the present with confidence and the future with real, realistic uh, expectancy. Simply, what we need to do and what we need to encourage others to do for their own mental well-being is put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, put your life with Christ and all hopelessness will end because with Christ there is endless hope. Endless hope. Amen. I'll not go on to the next one because it's fairly long, so we'll just leave it there for now. So let's just continue to trust the Lord, to believe, as I've said. If you want a copy of the, the notes on active listening, just let me know and I'll have them for you. Uh, print it off. So let's ask Peter to come back and let's just worship the Lord together.